Well, good morning and welcome to Rimrock Church. We're just going to lift up the name of Jesus this morning and enjoy him. What a beautiful day, huh? Wow. This has been amazing. But uh, thank you, Lord, for that. And uh, Lord, we just want to worship you this morning. Let's do it.
holy God. Yeah, give my hand. You may be seated. So Michael was raised on rock and roll, and so yes, heavy metal. I didn't particular. know the White Snake song that you requested, so I just thought you're a lot older than me. That's why. So, all right. If you don't know, this song is by uh, Tom's favorite band, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, I don't know. If we could say Jimi Hendrix from the stage uh, on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Nothing's hitting, is it? All right, good. Thank you, God. Sorry, forgive me. It's Tom's fault. It's the man you gave me. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, delighted to be with you, and thank you for coming and joining us for worship. If you're here for the first time uh, or visiting us, want to welcome you. Um, if you'd like to stop by by our information desk, we have a gift for you. Um, we're grateful that you're here, and uh, we have, in this Thanksgiving season, a lot to be thankful for. Uh, Rimrock's been blessed uh, beyond measure, and what a blessing it is to be a blessing to others, right? Um, I'm personally thankful for uh, having the opportunity and coming to know Christ. Most of you know my background. I came from an Islamic uh, background. The fact that I get to know the living king, the holy king, and on top of that, what a privilege it is to be able to serve him and, of course, worship him. As we were singing this song, we all look forward to the golden city, right? Uh, our destination is not here. We don't get too caught up here on earth with all the craziness that's going on. We look forward to heaven. And the Bible is very clear. We need to live with eternal perspective uh, because God is in control of all of it, right? And uh, we look forward to that new kingdom. Now, with that being said, uh, Tom, thank you for taking care of the introduction for me. Uh, they introduced each other, so that's one less thing I have to bother you with. Um, we have this Christmas um, decided to uh, serve or give uh, to two different types of ministry. One is we want to support uh, uh, one of our missionaries in Lebanon. Uh, I don't know if you know much about Lebanon. Beautiful country, used to be the Riviera is the Middle East, and people used to go visit, but unfortunately, throughout the years, the last 20 years or so, through wars and all that stuff, the country's always been in a shamble, has been in a shamble for the last 20 years, and their economy has pretty much collapsed. Their money has no value, and so we want to support a missionary couple that we have out there and support the church out there so that they may continue to do so. So if you feel God's leading you to give toward that, there's a table outside, and we could answer your question for you, and you could give money toward that. We're doing this in lieu of other ministries that we've done in the past around Christmas time. Uh, most of you remember we used to do Samaritan purse and, and shoe boxes. We decided to kind of uh, go a little further with that. And then another thing we're doing this year is we're collecting gloves. Go figure. Uh, I never did this in California. We never collected gloves in California. But we're collecting gloves uh, to, for uh, our uh, international students uh, at the uh, South Dakota School of Mine. We want to collect about 70 but knowing you guys and how generous you are, I have a feeling we're going to get a heck of a lot more than 70. So, again, if you have any question about this and, and you have resources that you want to give toward that, 
the table's outside. Amy Delane's at that table this morning. If you have any questions, she'll be happy to answer them for you. Um, other than that, uh, look forward to hearing from our pastor this morning. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, would you join me in a word of prayer, please? Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, being able to worship once more, one Sunday. Every day you give us, Lord, we need to be thankful for you. We thank you for these men and women, Lord, that they have committed their lives to you to serve you and honor you. Uh, I pray that uh, their lives would be a blessing to you as you have blessed us through your son, Jesus Christ, Father God. And I pray our time of worship and teaching this morning uh, would bring glory and honor to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, this being Thanksgiving week, we did a lot of Thanksgiving songs uh, last week. But we're going to do this Thanksgiving song. And it is called Thank You, Jesus, for the Bible. We're going to start with a chorus. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has
lift up our voices and say thank you, God, for everything. We know we all go through hard times. We all go through good times, God, but you are God in the midst of it. Thank you for paying the price for our foolishness, God. Thank you for drawing us to yourself. If there's anybody in this room, God, that doesn't yet know you, hasn't yet experienced your love and your forgiveness, God, I pray that today would be the day they would surrender to you so that they can praise your name for the rest of their lives and all eternity, God. And I pray that for all of us in Jesus' name. morning so good to be with you guys wow those past those last two songs preach i don't i don't feel like i need to preach because we just sang the gospel the glorious most beautiful truth that jesus is the king that he came to save us he loves us and i guess my greatest prayer right now is that what we just sang would uh, ring so true in your heart and your soul and your mind and every aspect of your being. Uh, there's no one more worthy than Jesus Christ this morning. Well, I trust each of you had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, my wife and I and family went to uh, Colorado to be with my parents and siblings, and, and uh, we had snow in Colorado. <laughs> and it looked like Christmas there, and then we came to Rapid City, and it was a heat wave. <laughs> like we're going to the tropics rapid city but uh, we're entering a season that traditionally we call advent season and uh, and it has a very special purpose in our discipleship and our growth as, as Christians because it's a reminder of who we are and uh, I know every kid we have family worship so their students with us is is and I remember this as a kid that anticipation of Christmas it's coming right it's not that far away and so that anticipation of a coming and so Advent literally means a coming and so there's this this realization that there's a there's something coming in the future and so we call this Advent season not only looking back to the coming of Jesus Christ but we look forward as Christians. And that is so important for us as, as, as believers in this world that as we sang this morning, the world is not as it should be. Uh, there is a, a new city, a new Jerusalem, a new earth where every tear will be wiped away, where there will be no more pain and no more death. God says, behold, I am making all things new. And if we are quiet enough, our souls are yearning, groaning, longing for that day. <laughs> And we know it's true. Deep in ourselves, we know that we were created for more than what we experience today. That the death and the pain and the tears was not what God intended. That he is making all things new. And so there's this longing, this anticipation for a second coming. And so for us, Christmas is not just looking back to the, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and praise God that he came uh, to earth, but there's a longing for a second coming when he will come not as a baby but as a king to rule and to reign and to restore and to heal the nations and to bring back to order what has been lost to bring light into the darkness of this world and so whether you knew it or not uh, when we entered Philippians we knew that we were coming into the Christmas season because if you didn't realize it Philippians is a Christmas book <laughs> It's 
themes run deep into the Christmas story. And the very center of the story is Philippians chapter 2. And Philippians chapter 2 tells us in your relationships with one another. And by the way, wasn't Thanksgiving wonderful to be with people that you love? And as you think about Christmas, the people you love. And so relationships are important. Being in church together, it wasn't just to listen to good music, but it's about relationships. It's about being together. Because what God is restoring, what he's redeeming is people. He, he, he loves buildings and all those things, but those things are secondary to you. You are the building that God most cares about. You and I, together, relationships. And your relationships with another have the same mindset, the same attitude, the same practice as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage or something to be grasped onto. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. I think that's a central theme for Christmas. God humbled himself. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And not only did he make his dwelling among us, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, a cruel form of punishment, a cruelest form of revealing the ugliness of death, shameful, naked on a cross, the cruelest form of punishment. Jesus went there. If any of us have suffered, if anyone in this world has ever suffered, Jesus knows about suffering. He knows about cruelty. He knows about the darkness of loneliness the desperation of the cross. But the story doesn't end there. <laughs> Aren't you glad the story doesn't end there? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Even death on a cross, God can turn for good. Even the cruelest, most darkest pain that you've been through, God is working for good. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow. Not some knees, every knee will bow. In heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's what we sang this morning, glory, glory, glory. Because what was ugly and shameful and dark, God turned to glorious good, joy. Philippians is a Christmas book. It's the incarnation. God became man. He made his dwelling among us. He experiences what we experienced, and yet he overcame it. And he's inviting us into the same story, the glorious story of God. Your life, my life, is not just a meaningless accident in this universe. You are not an accident. God has a purpose. He's inviting you into his purpose, his story, his glorious story of redemption, of renewal, healing, of taking the shameful and making it glorious and good. And so this Christmas story is at the very center 
of what God is doing in us, the church. And so Paul wants us to think about our relationships, the value of our relationships, the importance of what God is doing in us and what he's doing in the world. And so as we go through Philippians, we're in chapter 3 this morning. And if you would open your Bibles there. And uh, what we're going to look at this morning will make no sense if you didn't listen to uh, last week's sermon. Bill preached... um, so important, the things that were talked about last week. And so if you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back because without understanding what was laid before us last week, it's hard to understand these verses. But we're going to be in verse 12. And he says, Not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to taken, have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards the, what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. We're going to pause there and then we'll keep reading. I think one of the, the important things that is revealed to us in this letter that Paul wrote from prison to a church that was under pressure in the first Uh, European believers in a hostile environment. There's conflict in their midst. He's encouraging them because he loves them to remember the way and the, the, the calling that Jesus had on their lives. And at the very center of it is this call to humility. And we see that in Philippians 2 where it says Jesus humbled himself. And so Paul has been giving examples of humility. And he says, the only way you're going to experience unity as a church is if you're humble. (laughs) And he says, the only way that you're going to experience joy is if you're humble. And so humility is at the very center of what God is inviting us to. And so Jesus was obedient in being humble. And so we've talked a little bit about humility. And one of the things we've said is, is you can't just create humility. You can't just work it up or try to make it happen. (laughs) But there's a couple things that Paul is revealing to us about humility that are so important. One is, humility can only truly be found in Christ. (laughs) In Christ, right? This is the very center of, of the message of the gospel is that there is no life outside of Jesus. It's only in Jesus, in relationship with Jesus, in knowing Jesus, that we can discover what humility is. Um, I think, uh, there's something yearning in all of us for something greater than ourselves. Um, my parents live right at the base of Pikes Peak in, in Colorado, and, and I love gazing up at that mountain. In fact, um, its allure even drew me to climb it last year. So there's something about mo- mountains that, that are deep inside me that stir something in me because I think it's, I need this reminder that, that there's, there's things that are greater than myself in this world. And so it's not just mountains, it's the ocean and the sky. If you look up at the stars, there's, there's something in us that longs for a wonder, for a power, for a glory beyond what we can create or make in our own. And even the greatest cities and towers that we build as human beings pale in comparison to the mountains, pale in comparison to the oceans, pale in comparison to the size of the universe, right? There's something greater. And Paul is inviting us to see Christ, the creator, the maker of the mountains, the creator of the seas, the creator of the stars. In Christ, we discover true glory, true greatness, true power, true 
true, <laughs> true everything that we long for. And so it's in Christ that we discover meaning and purpose in who we are. And this is the beginning of understanding humility. In Christ, we can begin to experience humility. When we understand that we're not God, <laughs> we understand we're not in control, we don't have all power, we don't have all greatness, but rather God has it all in Christ. And not only do we discover greatness and power, but we discover goodness and mercy and grace and love and tenderness and compassion and abounding love. And so there's so much that we find in Christ that opens the door to humility. And so humility is this entryway towards faith where we can begin to have relationship with God. In fact, the Bible is very clear throughout the whole Bible story that, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I think that's what Paul is talking about in verses 12 through 14. He's talking about humility. He's talking about entering that humble posture before Christ, knowing who he is, knowing that he hasn't already attained fullness of life. And he uses athletic illustrations, and I think that's really important. Are there some athletes here this morning? <laughs> oh yeah, I see a few hands. Okay, that's, that's good. Now, you don't have to be an athlete to understand this, right? You can watch it. Some of you watch football, some of you watch basketball, some of you like the Olympics. But what's the one thing that you notice about athletes? Are they ever fully satisfied <laughs> with where they're at, right? Good athletes are always getting better. They're always working towards a better time, more points, right? They, they, they understand that they haven't fully arrived, and they're not content to stay where they're at. And that's what Paul is talking about here, to, to grow, to develop, to, to become all that you are designed to become, there has to be this humble sense of that you have not arrived. That is really important for us as Christians in our faith. The, the greatest danger to humility, Paul introduced earlier in the book when he said, there is something called selfish ambition and vain conceit. And he says, this is the biggest enemy to what God wants to do in us and the humility that he's called us to in Jesus Christ. Because he knows that selfish ambition and vain conceit, what does it do? It destroys relationship. <laughs> it destroys all that is good. And so we have to understand not only that to, to experience humility, we have to understand what it means to be in Christ, but we also have to understand that there's an enemy to humility. And it's vain conceit and it's selfish ambition. And guess what? It's in all of us. <laughs> How do we know? Because he said the fruit of selfish ambition and vain conceit is grumbling and complaining. And if you've ever grumbled, if you've ever complained, if you've ever argued, if you've ever been discontent, then you know you have selfish ambition and vain conceit. And what do those things do? They destroy relationships. They destroy everything that's good, right? We see it. We see the effects in destroyed marriages, destroyed relationships between parents and kids, destroyed churches, destroyed communities, destroyed nations because of these things. And so Paul is helping us understand that we have to have the mindset of an athlete, realizing that we can fall into these things. And so Paul says we, we, we haven't arrived but we press on to take hold of what has already taken hold of us. He's not talking about works here kind of salvation. He's saying Jesus has already saved us, 
But the Christian life is a life of discipline. It's a, it's a life of practice, of habit. We have to understand as Christians that the call of grace is a, is a call to a life of discipline and practice and habits. That part of that is why we gather on Sunday mornings. It doesn't always feel good to, to get out of bed early or to, to get the family together because it's a battle. The kids are doing all this stuff and there's all these battles that try to keep us from not only coming to church but praying and reading our Bibles and, and learning to be generous and to do all the disciplines that God has called us to. But, but, but Paul says we strive for this because we have an enemy, selfish ambition vain conceit but he says i look forward right forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead and so part of humility is not only forgetting who we are or thinking or, or realizing that we haven't arrived but also realizing that that the mistakes and the the things that we look the failures that we have behind us we don't dwell on those things part of humility is being able to look forward right not being so caught up in ourselves and our own failures, but we press forward, straining to what is ahead, and there's a goal. What is the goal? We have to go to the previous verses. Look at verse 8. This is what I think Paul is, is straining towards, and I think this is the invitation towards us to strain towards this. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord knowing Jesus my Lord. This is what Bill talked about last Sunday, and it's, it's, the, it's the treasure, it's the prize, it's the ultimate goal for us as Christians. And it's the, it's the entryway into humility, is, is knowing who Jesus is and realizing his surpassing worth over everything else. Paul says, this is the goal, this is the prize, and there's a call heavenward because in Jesus remember not only is all of life and the fullness of all the glory everything we long for but also in Jesus is the very essence of who we are called to be what we were designed to be as human beings we're all looking for identity <laughs> we're all grasping for identity looking for who we are and how we fit into the story right but the confidence and the joy and the courage and the strength that we all long for is found in our identity in Christ. This is good news, brothers and sisters. This is good news for us, church, because we live in a world that's grasping and straining for all different kinds of things, and the result of it is pain and division and conflict and struggle. But Paul says, if we see the surpassing worth of Jesus, and if we know him, we ultimately find ourselves. And we find what we were created for. This is beautiful. And Paul invites us to this beauty. Now let's keep reading. All of us then who are mature, in verse 15, should take such a view of things. As if on some point you think differently, that to God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now, um, these are interesting words, and I think uh, Paul has a sense of humor here in some ways, <laughs> right? He's saying, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think we could disagree about this, but I know I'm right <laughs> about this. But he has some credence to be able to say this, because remember, Paul is an older man at this point. He's lived his whole life in Christ, 
And not only has he lived in Christ, but he suffered in Christ. Remember, he's in prison. He's been beaten. He's been in shipwrecks. He's lost friends. He's lost uh, so much. But earlier he said, all of that was nothing compared to Christ, <laughs> right? That's his greatest treasure. That's his prize. But he's saying, what we are called to in maturity is this, that we are to look at the surpassing worth of Jesus, knowing Christ. And it's this way of humility that Paul is talking about. This is the whole point of Philippians, is that the Christian life is ultimately a life of obedience to God. Just as Jesus showed us on the cross that, that we are called to a, a life of trust in God, a life of obedience to God, and this requires humility. We have to give up our selfish ambition. We have to give up our pride. We have to give ourselves up so that God can take hold of us. And so Paul is saying, this is the way. <laughs> it's the humble way. It's the way of Jesus. And it's worth it. <laughs> it's the prize. It's the goal. This is the invitation of the Christian life. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters. Just as you have used us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Paul, throughout this book, has said Jesus is the ultimate example, but we need other examples. We need living people who have put this into practice, right? And I was thinking about this uh, all week long because I was thinking about you, so many of you, and the examples that you have been to me of what it means to follow Christ. And I had too many. I said, God, I can't, I can't share all those examples <laughs> with everyone, but I want to. My heart is so full because I've seen Christ in you. I've seen his ways in you. I've seen the way you go about business. I've seen the way you go about being fathers and mothers and children. I've seen the ways so many of you have obeyed Christ in this way, this humble way. And it's powerful. And it encourages me. Every, every week I'm so encouraged, so blessed to be with so many of you in following Christ. I have uh, an older friend back in Minnesota who was part of our church, um, and he would always, with a big smile, he was in his 80s, but he had a big smile. He says, the best thing that ever happened to me was coming to Jesus. But he said, the second best thing was the crowd that I got to run with. <laughs> following Jesus is being with the best people ever. And it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. But one example that I did want to share with you is... Um, when I came here, uh, many of you knew um, uh, Mike Hayes was on staff. He served in the role that Michael Homa uh, now serves in as kind of the administrator of the church. And, and one, of the, one of the challenges I've seen as, as we get older, there's, there's a lot of challenges and I'm starting to feel it. I'm, my birthday's coming soon. I'm getting a little older. But, but, you know, life changes and we have these different seasons. But as a pastor, I get to see people go through different stages of their life. And, and I think one of the hardest stages I've seen for a lot of people is that period when you're, you're getting to a point where you don't want to work, or, or it's not that you don't want to work, but you're, you're transitioning from work life to this next period of your season of life where you're thinking about retirement and what, what does that look like, what does that mean, and it's, it's scary, right? And, I'm, and I know some of you are going through that right now, but, but as a young man, <laughs> I need examples. I need people to will show me what does that look like. How do you navigate that? Because so much of our identity is caught up in our work, right? <laughs> Especially as men, we, we, we hold on to that, right? But the example of his Jesus, he says, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. 
I thought, what does that look like? How, how will I go through that? Because as a young man, I've seen a lot of poor examples of that. <laughs> People who get to that point in their lives where they know they're transitioning out of work and that identity to something different, a new season, and, and it's so easy to hold on. And, uh, and I've talked about, Joe, what does that look like as a pastor? How do I do that? And I'm so grateful for men like Mike Hayes who showed me the way of Jesus where there was humility and there was a passion for something greater than himself and a desire to serve and to bless. And some of you guys, some of you don't know Mike, but some of you do know Mike and, and his servant attitude and his way of approaching the church and the way of approaching people. And I said, that, that's how I want to do it too. I need those living examples, right? Where, where there's not selfish ambition, where there's not pride, where there's a desire for something greater, God's glory to be found in Christ and to bless and to give and to serve and to lift up and to be generous. All of this is evidence of humility. This is the way of Jesus. And it brings blessing, <laughs> does it not? <laughs> it, does, it brings blessing. And so we can think about other examples. There's so many. Think about examples in your own life. People who've modeled that way instead of conflict and fights and grasping at power and struggle, there's a way of blessing. And this is what Paul's talking about with Epaphroditus and Timothy, real flesh and blood people who've shown a different way, who sacrificed, who gave their lives, who risked their lives for something greater than themselves, for Christ. Models, we need models. Verse 18, for I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we wait eagerly for the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, there's a battle for the way of Christ. <laughs> the humble way is a way of battle. And this is what Paul is saying. And it's a battle in us. He's not talking about the world out there. He's talking about us, the church, the people of God. There's a battle for our hearts, for our mindset, for our attitudes, the way we're going to go through this life and how we're going to go into relationship. Just this morning, we were gathered with the ushers to pray and one of them said, they were, they were talking about family, and many of you are coming from family, and there's, there's so much conflict, right? And he was saying, Satan is attacking our families. There's so much division. There's so much conflict. And it's not just our families. Look at our nation. <laughs> Look what's happened to the church. Look at all the different opinions about masks and vaccines, and, and it's just endless, and it feels overwhelming. How are we going to get through this? Philippians is about unity. It's about joy. And Paul is saying the only way we're going to experience this is we have to be found in Christ. We have to humble ourselves. And there's a way through it. But there's an enemy. <laughs> there's a battle. And this is what it is. He says many live as enemies of, cross, of Christ. So it's the enemy. It's going against the way of obedience, the way of humility, the way of surrender and trust in God right? What is it? What is it? Their God is their stomach. It's our appetites. Our appetites. 
We all have them. <laughs> and they're good. These aren't bad appetites. We have hunger. We have thirst. There's so many different appetites that we have, whether it's for possessions or, or things. And, and I'm so glad we went through the book of Ecclesiastes, right, Bill? Because it puts it all in perspective. It's not saying that these things are wrong in themselves, but it says when those things become our God. It's, it's the priorities, right? It's what's first. What's our first love? Because if any of these things take center stage, if, it, if the center is no longer Jesus, if it's no longer Christ, then something else will fill that place and it will cause destruction. That's what's destroying our families. That's what's destroying our nation. That's what's destroying our churches. It's when the appetites become central. What does James says? You have desires and they well up into you until you quarrel and you fight and you destroy. Why? Because you want things. And you try to get them your own way. You see, God is not withholding anything from us. <laughs> He's the giver of every good gift. Every good and perfect gift. Food, pleasure, all of that is from God. And he wants to give it to us, but it has to take its proper place. Because if not, it will destroy us. Appetites, if that takes center stage, it will destroy us. It will destroy our relationships. It will destroy everything. Be careful. Also, their minds are set on earthly things. If Christ is not at our center, we will put something else there. And what is the world putting at the center? All kinds of things. <laughs> There's all kinds of people saying, this is the center. Maybe it's a certain brand of politics. Maybe it's a certain way of, of, of health and well-being. Maybe it's safety. You know, there's so many things in our culture that are calling our attention. Maybe it's entertainment. Maybe it's, it, it's, it's something else that's not Jesus that says this is the most important thing. This is what we're going to fight for. This is what is most important, right? And we hear it every day. You're bombarded with it. Come here. Try this. Do this. Now, not all of that is wrong. There's a place for all of that. I'm not saying it's wrong to be involved in politics. It's not wrong to have convictions about vaccines or masks or all those things. They have their place. They're important, <laughs> but they can't be the center. Jesus says, I am the center. <laughs> if Jesus, as Paul says, is of surpassing worth, of surpassing glory, if life is found in him, then death becomes the center, then everything else will find its place. But if we move any of that other things into the center, what happens? Destruction. Destruction. That's what's wrong with this world. It's being destroyed. It's being ripped apart. And we feel it. And we know it. And we're part of it. Because it's in us. And so if we're going to follow Christ, we have to discipline ourselves. We have to experience humility by being in Christ and recognizing the enemy that creeps up on all of us. Selfish ambition, prideful conceit, thinking that I'm the center of everything, that my ways, my wants is the most important thing. But when we realize who we are, <laughs> that we are Christ, and what does he say? That our citizenship is in heaven. <laughs> there's security, <laughs> there's peace, there's joy. We're not threatened by all that. We're not threatened by that. That's why Paul can say, they can throw me in prison. Nero can execute me. They can take away my job. They can try to destroy me, but I won't be lost because I have confidence in Jesus and who I am, who he made me to be as a son and daughter. 
You are a son of the king. You are a daughter of the king. You are called to more. Your citizenship is in heaven. So even if the United States of America is destroyed, we are not destroyed. I pray that it isn't. I love this country. <laughs> it has its proper place. I love that I'm American, but it's secondary to my citizenship in heaven because no one can take this away from me. I take my stand in Jesus. He is my treasure. He is everything to me. And because of that, I am free. I'm free to love. <laughs> so someone who has a different convictions about vaccines or masks, I can love them. I can serve them. I can give to them. If someone has a different opinion about something, it's okay. I can love them because I see their value, because I know they were created to be citizens of heaven as well. You see, this is a, a game changer. When we understand who Jesus is, he says, who by the very power, verse 21, that enables him to bring everything under his control. Remember, Christmas is about the joy and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite Tom to come on up as we close this time. He is the Prince of Peace. Why did Jesus come into this world? Not to destroy it. He came as a baby. He came to heal. <laughs> he came to heal the sick. He came to feed the hungry. He came to restore. He came to bring the outcast near. He came to forgive the sinner. You see, the heart of God isn't to destroy. It's not to withhold. It's to give. And if Jesus is king, if he is Lord, and if every knee bows to him and every tongue confesses him, you will not be destroyed, I will not be destroyed, the world will be healed. Because his control is not an oppressive control. It's a control of freedom. He wants to give us freedom. <laughs> he wants to give us life. He wants to give us joy. And what will he do? He will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. This isn't just a spiritual kind of peace or a spiritual kind of well-being. This is a whole well-being. He wants to make our bodies new. You see, this is a resurrection hope. And this is what Christmas is all about. It's not only looking back at who Jesus is and what he came to do by his presence here on earth, but what he did in the resurrection and what he will do in the future. Some of you have lost loved ones this past year. Here's our hope. They have new bodies. <laughs> new bodies that someday you will be able to touch. Just as Jesus resurrected, and what did he do? He touched his disciples. He said, feel my hands. And what did he do? He sat by the ocean, by the, not the ocean, the Sea of Galilee. He made a fire. He could feel the warmth of that fire. And he roasted fish over that fire, and he ate that fish. New bodies. <laughs> a new world. <laughs> Resurrection hope. You see, this reality of Jesus, of being in Christ, creates in us a humility that is not weakness, but strength. Humility isn't cowering, it's boldness. That's why Jesus didn't cower, he was bold. This is why the apostles declared in the resurrected Jesus, because they believed that God is making all things new. And he's going to give us new bodies. That is our hope. That is our joy. That is our rest this morning in that Jesus is Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, your name is glorious. Lord, we want to bow before you because it's such good news.
Lord, the older I get, I get weary by a world that is grasping and chasing so much, Lord, and I see it in myself, how my heart is prone to wonder. Yet this morning I find strength in the way of Jesus, that he humbled himself, became obedient. Lord, teach us obedience. Teach us to trust you, Jesus. To not fight for our way, but to glorify you, to live for you, to live in the design that you created us for. Lord, you know the conflicts in this room. You know the, the things that, are, are, that people are dealing with in their relationships, Lord. Help them to see that, Lord, you will transform those things. Help them to trust you, to forgive, to let go, to love, to serve. Lord, heal. Help them to know that you hold on to them, that you will never let them go. And that they can follow you, Lord. That your way is peace and freedom and joy. Show us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. When peace like a river
Amen. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. He is good. He is good. God bless you. Come join us Wednesday night and all through the Christmas season. Amen.